Come on, three more than three of you are. I know those of you watching online are glad, but that's not fair. You're on your couch. No, I'm glad all of you are here today, both in the room but also online. It's uh, it's Thanksgiving week. Can we give some thanks to the Lord today? It's Thanksgiving week. And uh, all right, one of you. That's fine. It's all right. Tough crowd today. That's all right. I'm, I'll work with that. I'll work with that. But uh, if you have a Bible, meet me in James chapter 4. We're going to look at the end of James chapter 4, and we're going to get all the way through chapter 5. Those of you who go to Redeemer are scared. I think that's going to take me a really long time. All right? But I promise you, I'll get you out of here close to on time. But uh, I want to preach a message to you about this idea. Kingdom curators. Kingdom curators. So just mull that over for a second and think about that. But um, this book of James, as we've been making our way through, has been all about what grace looks like in your fingertips, in your hands, your feet, your mouth. It's what does faith look like lived out? If grace comes in, what does it look like when it comes out of your life? What, what does it look like when your cup is filled with the Spirit and you interact with other people? What does that look like? But it's interesting to me how this book comes and ends. Because we've been talking about a lot of different things. And isn't it interesting that James comes to the end of his letter, to the people that he's pastoring, to this church that's scattered in persecution, and is dealing with a lot of intense things, And he lands in a place where he makes sure they know just a couple of things. They're not in control. How they spend their money matters. And how they use their time. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) If I could point at just a few idols in the United States of America, what would they be? Time, control, money, right? This this could have been written to us in this moment. And so it's timely, right, that we've been in this book in this season. Because as we live, as Jerome mentioned earlier, in a pretty divided country, we have an opportunity as the body of Christ to be the church, right? To, as our vision is up, as our, as the scripture says, our eyes are fixed on Jesus because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, that as our vision is fixed on him, and then he moves in and begins to transform us each and every week through his word, through being in with his people, through all the, all the channels that he does that, we're then able to go and look with Jesus at our city. But there's a few things that we have to tackle in our heart as James draws this letter to a conclusion that I think are incredibly timely, but also incredibly important. If you look at James chapter 4, at the end here, beginning in verse 13, uh, James says this. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such such and such a town and spend a year there. And trade and make a profit. And then listen to what he says here in verse 14. Yet you do not know 
what tomorrow will bring. The first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this. God's economy, kingdom economics, begins with this. It begins with a confession. It begins with a confession. And the confession is this. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. That might seem really obvious, but if you really play that into your life, that is scary for a lot of people. We, we can just look at the world we live in right now in the middle of a pandemic where we, we were shut down and then opened back up and now certain places this past week are shutting down and there's questions and we're looking at everything that's going on and we're asking questions. It's very obvious in this moment that we begin with this confession that I'm not in control. I'm not in control. And so it, it begins in that place of confessing that we don't actually control today or tomorrow. No amens on that. I'm surprised. We don't like that, do we? Listen, I don't know about you, but we, when we come and we look at our life and we make our plans for the, for the most part in this country and in the opportunities that we've been afforded, many of us, if we want to set out to do something, there's a really good chance, maybe pre-2020, that you could accomplish that. And now we sit in this space where there's some things that are unsure, there's some things that are sitting outside of our control and James is reminding these folks that he loves that he's pastoring that he's writing to about the fact that as they have scattered out and as they're beginning to make their plans for what life will look like in this new economy this new setting that they find themselves in that there's a confession that we're not in control and instead of that scaring you today or causing you anxiety today, I want to convince you that that's actually good news. That only in God's economy is not being in control of your circumstances good news. Do you believe that? We, we sometimes have to confess those things so that we can believe those things, Right? Just one example, that when Jesus was on earth and he was doing ministry for those three years with his disciples, he was traveling down a road one day and a guy came up to him, a dad, whose son was dying, and he came up to Jesus and said, I need your help, desperate, it's his son. It was out of his control and he needed the Savior's help. He needed rescue in that moment. And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, do you believe? And the dad's answer was probably the most honest confession that all of us can make. He said, I believe. But can you help my unbelief? And I hope that resonates with you because that's the place where James is calling his people. It's where God's calling his people. That's where the Holy Spirit is leading you this Thanksgiving week. 
Thanksgiving, Christmas, these are holidays that are amazing. They're wonderful. Next week we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. And then we're going to kick off a series about God being with us, Emmanuel. And the amazing truths that go with it. But how many of you know that not everything around the holidays is peace, love, and joy? We have these things called family. My family's in the room, and I'm still admitting that. (laughs) Right? And some of you, you're in a broken home, or you have relational struggles. And so as you look at these things, we just have to realize that the, the commercials... And the planning and all the stuff and the spending, all of those things don't deliver on the promise they make. They don't satisfy us in this moment. Something else has to. And so James goes on here and he says in response to that, what is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He doesn't leave us there, though. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. That's a strong statement that I can actually, in grasping control of my life and not surrendering to the king of kings, Have everything right on the outside, but be living in sin. That's tough to swallow, right? Because we like our control. We like to be completely in control of the circumstances. And isn't it good news that every now and then, God rips that control away from us. And so there's there's some things that happen that as James says that, as we move into chapter 5, And the first one is this, when you recognize, you make that confession that you're not in control, there's a warning that we're supposed to heed. And I I use the word heed because that's what it is. It kind of makes you think, like, I heed that. Like, I'm I'm actually going to stop and pay attention to that because most of the time we we can gloss past the warning signs that God has right in front of us. Listen to what it says. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you. I was reminded just over the past few weeks as we watched some celebrities and some pastors. Who had on the outside attained all of the things that you're supposed to attain in this life. Fail miserably and fall hard. And it's a reminder That the riches of this world do not deliver on the promises that they make. And you and I have to be reminded of that because it's very easy to to step into Monday, to step into Tuesday, to step into Wednesday, and not live like this passage is true. To actually believe that we can accomplish the things that will satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. Shalom, peace, wholeness, fullness. Listen, I'm not saying that if you make all the money that you want to make or achieve everything that you want to achieve, that if you set goals and reach them, that it's not going to make you happy. 
it will. The Bible is honest about that. It says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But Proverbs tells us that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Jesus would say it this way. He'd say, what does it profit you and I if we gain the whole world but lose our soul in the process? There's a warning here. Verse 2 of chapter 5 says, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. Many of you are in business. The Bible speaks to that, not just in Proverbs, but even in the New Testament, that the way you deal with people, we, we need the mind of Christ, right? We need that even if, even if we are in control of certain things, that we, we look with the eyes of Jesus. So as you are out there entrepreneuring and all the things that we do in this country, that we still look with Jesus, don't we? It's not just about what I can get, but it's who can I bless. That's what James is saying here. Even those, the, the people that work for you, right? We're, we're not working with this country's economics. We're working with God's economics. Bible's speaking to all of these things that, that that is not where you'll find your satisfaction, but actually in blessing others, you'll find your satisfaction. Because what comes in has to go out. When grace comes in, grace goes out. That's why our vision is so important that it go up because then Jesus will come in so that we can look with him. James is begging his people. You can feel the passion in which he's speaking it. He says, "Those that fraud is crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of the hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. And he doesn't even resist you. We live in a country full of turmoil relationally. People in oppression. These aren't the things of God. The church can go to the front line of the issues in our culture and speak a word of truth that brings peace and life and beauty. And so when you heed that warning, what's what's God actually asking you in the next section? I'm not going to read all of it, but he says this in verse seven. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. I don't have time to unpack that whole section, but listen, can I just encourage you to write something down as you think about the fact that you're not in control and you're heeding that warning that is so ever present in our culture and the idol of money and all the things. Can I encourage you to write this down? Be patient with your planning and your promising because he goes on there and he says in verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. <laughs> James is just saying, 
Don't overpromise and underdeliver. Better to underpromise and overdeliver, right? Be patient with your planning and your promising. Because what's the very next thing that happens and the last thing that James says in chapter 5 is he tells us to pray, right? If, if I'm confessing that I'm not in control of the things that are going on in my life, that it's just an illusion that I'm controlling and I'm being, I'm heeding that warning and I'm patient with my planning and promising, what, what is he asking me to do then? He's asking you to look up. He's asking you to pray, in James 5.13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? True or false? There's people in our country that are suffering. Come on, this is class participation. True or false? True. There's people suffering all over the place. What, is, what, what should they do? Let them pray. Is there anyone cheerful? Is anybody happy today? Yeah, come on. We're happy. We're, we're in the presence of God and his people. What does it say? Let him sing praise. You ever wonder why we sing so much here? Because it's all over the Bible. It, it's the response of the heart to the goodness of God. We can't help it. We have to. We're going to sing as soon as I get out of the way. I'm going to sing again. Because we can't help it. It's the response of our heart to the goodness of God. He says, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who, who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Why? Because we pray. That's powerful. Are you aware, if you're not a Christian today, you're sitting in here or you're watching online, are you aware that, that if you'll just humble yourself and pray to the God who hung the stars in the universe, to the God who created everything that we see and touch and feel and hear and smell, that he'll forgive you and heal you and set you free. That that's available right now. Like right now. But you'll have to humble yourself and pray and surrender to the Spirit of God. And that's where the breakdown is for most people. The illusion that I'm in control and that I lose control when I put my faith in Jesus. And the reality is, is that's not true. The reality is you're out of control and Jesus wants to take control. <laughs> it's funny how that works. But look at this in verse 18, 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Listen to this. That you may be healed. Are you aware that right now in God you can have forgiveness? 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Right now you can make that confession that I just talked about. And be completely forgiven by God. Be right with God. Vertically in heaven. Fixed. Forever. Settled. Done. Jesus, the last thing he said on the cross is, it is finished. Nothing left to do. But then what, what does the scripture say? How many of you know you can be forgiven by God, but not be healed with others? That you can have right standing with God, but not have right standing with your neighbor. Right? James is... Reminding us that when you're forgiven by God, it, it unlocks this ability for you to go to your neighbor and confess your sin. And say those worst two words, I'm sorry. Or even three that are worse, I was wrong. Oh, stop it, pastor. 
We don't want to talk about that in church. So let's talk about joy and peace. Man, listen, God isn't correcting you on wanting to have prosperity, but he is wanting to correct you and show you the way how he would like you to have it. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. Because we've talked about this before, and I won't spend a ton of time, but the first has the power to bless the rest, doesn't it? Matthew 6.33, listen to this. This won't be on the screen. Just listen to it. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Everything else will be added if you'll just vision up. If you'll just love God. Everything else he'll take care of. This is not just a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. Right at the, Towards the very beginning, right? The first two kids on earth, Cain and Abel, right? God, they grew up and they started to work the earth like they were supposed to. And God says, okay, I want you to bring me a sacrifice of praise. I want you to bring your vision up. I want you to be reminded that of all the things that I've blessed you with. And I want you to be generous back to me. Which for Cain and Abel meant the things that they had worked for, the things that were precious to them, their version of money, they were to bring back to God and give him the first and the best. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 and 5. It says this, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock... And of their fat portions, big difference. Cain brought something. Abel brought his best. He brought the first. He brought the fat portion for the Lord. And listen to this. It says, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And you can go read the rest of the story. But what's the point? God's not at all concerned about the amount of what you bring to him, but the heart in which you bring it. The New Testament says that God loves a cheerful giver. A sign that the Spirit of God is alive inside of you is when you can see generosity as a privilege and not a duty. That's the heart of God. That's the people of God. And so as we're praying, right? What does it say? The praying is powerful. It's effective. It's healing. All these things are taking place. And if God is first in your life, everything else can come into alignment. But if he's not first in your life, everything will be out of order. So let me, let me come and land in this place with you. How do you move forward in reality? You go back to this concept that you're just a kingdom curator. You're just a kingdom curator. You know what curating is? It's managing the blessings of God for the good of others. You've been blessed to be a blessing. That is the way we go. So we plan. Make your plans. But make them with an open hand. Right? There's there's scripture all throughout the Bible that talks about being a good steward. That talks about planning. It talks about... Uh, ordering your steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. These are good things. You ought to plan. But we plan with an open hand because at any moment things can change. 
And if we actually believe that there's a God in heaven who sits in control of everything, it changes the way we hold on to our stuff. It changes the way we hold on to our money. It changes the way we hold on to our time. It changes the way we hold on to our family. It changes everything about the way that we see life. We're curators. Write this down. This is important. We're curators of what is God's. We are not owners of what is ours. You can't give away what isn't yours. You can steward what's God's. Can I get an amen in church? Right? You want to be set free from the love of money? The Bible doesn't say having money is wrong. It says loving your money is wrong. You want to be set free from that? Start to look at it as God's money that you get to steward for the good of your family, for the good of the church, for the good of the city, right? I think it was Isaiah or Jeremiah. I think it was Jeremiah who came and, and told the people of God a message from God. He said, seek the welfare of the city that you are in. And they were not at home. They were taken as slaves in a foreign land. And Jeremiah comes and says, seek the welfare of that city. Pray that God will bless it and prosper it. So as you live as strangers and aliens in the United States of America, seek the welfare of this city. Be a blessing to Tampa. We should do that knowing that we're living in this divided place where we're citizens of a different kingdom who are in this one, stewarding and managing the good blessings from God for the good of others. could talk about that for a long, long time, but I'm not going to. I want to get to the end of this here. So if you're living in that reality, recognizing that we don't give, we bring what is God's, we recognize that this is, this is actually the heart of God. And I want to respond to that. I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to sing a song about the joy of the Lord being your strength. Okay, but, but here, here's what I know. They can come up. But here's what I know. That it is entirely possible for you and I to sing that and to not think about that. To sing that and not believe that. We, nobody is better at faking it than those of us who have been in the church for a long time. Online, I'm talking to you. Right? We're, we are, nobody is better than that. Let me read you a couple scriptures about the heart of your God. And the blessings that he's given to us that we might bless those around us. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 8, verse 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, I love this scripture, that though he was rich, think about that. You can't outgive God because he owns everything. I love that. That though he was rich, listen, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Amen? It's the heart of our God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He, what? Gave His only Son. Listen, I love you guys, but I would not give my sons for you. I love you. I'd give my life for you, but I won't give their life for you. 
just being real with you. Your pastor has some ways to go. Not God the Father. Not God the Father. He gave His only Son. Why? Listen to this. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, I don't know where you're at today. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that the God of the universe stepped out of the splendors of heaven. Though He was rich, He became poor. He was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Some 2,000 years ago in an area called Nazareth, which nobody liked Nazareth. Though he was rich, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. So that by him stepping out of heaven and coming to earth and living a perfect life that you and I are not able to live, he delivered on the demand that a holy God demands of you. That is true. God demands that you be perfect. But when you and I recognize that we can't be perfect, He sent His Son so that you could have life. Listen to this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God, He shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, God gave us His best we were at our worst. Can that encourage you today? When God saw us, we were at our worst and He gave us His best. This is the heart of our God. And so, I don't know what you're going through today, but I'm pretty sure you're going through something. All of us are. Whether it's family at the holidays or financial or relational maybe you're struggling with anxiety maybe you're struggling with where our country is at I don't know whatever you're struggling with but I should encourage you today that in Christ the joy of the Lord is your strength as we get ready to sing that I want to remind you what Nehemiah said to the people Nehemiah was went through some stuff. If you don't have anything to do for your uh, devotions this Thanksgiving season, read Nehemiah. But here's the bottom line. They were being attacked from all sides. People were not happy with him. But Nehemiah had a vision from God. He had a message from God. He had an assignment from God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And as that all unfolds, he comes to the people and he says this in Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, for all the people wept because the law was being read. They were cut to the heart. They recognized that they were guilty, that they were sinners, that they had walked away from the Lord. All the people are weeping because they hear the words of the law because the priest at the time was Ezra. And he was reading to them. And so they're weeping because they're recognizing their sinfulness before a holy God. And listen to what Nehemiah said. I want, I want to leave you with this and we'll sing. He said this. Go your way. Remember, they're, they're cut to the heart. He says, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to our Lord. 
And do not be grieved. Listen to this. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So why don't you stand with me. And just in an act of faith. A, a, a physical, tangible act of faith. Even if you're at home today. I just encourage you. Stand to your feet. And in a physical act of faith. Sing this with us. Sing this as one body, one church, with one Lord, with one faith. That no matter what's going on in your life, the joy of the Lord can be your strength. Even if you're grieving over your own sin, don't grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? Amen. So let's sing this out together.